This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Well, top of the morning to you all. How are we? Oh, I'm out. I'm done. Man, I thought a month away, come back, and there'd be like some, some interaction, you know, just something. Um, I, was, that, was that you, Claire? I don't even know where that came from. No, it wasn't even. Oh, sorry. Well, credit to you, Claire. Um, uh, I'm assuming we're doing well. Um, if we're not, that's okay, too. Um, but we don't have to stay there. Uh, good to see you all. Good to see you all. Uh, it is nice to be back. Uh, we are going to jump right back into Mark chapter 6 is where we are going to, to pick up. Um, thanks, Charlie. I, I was, even as you were, we were singing that song and I was just, you know, was thinking about who is like you. Um, I thought about Psalm 103. The Lord is righteous, justice. He's merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It says in verse 10, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. And I think, man, that, that forgiveness, the forgiveness of God is, is something that is, is unlike anything else. Uh, unlike anyone else. Um, forgiveness uh, among us is tough. It, it's hard to forgive someone in such a way that we take the offense and so far remove it that we no longer see that person through the offense, right? Especially when that offense is deep and painful and personal. And yet that's what God does. When we confess our sins and truly repent, he takes our sins against him, our offense against him, and he removes them as far as the east is from the west, and God no longer looks at us through the lens of that offense. We oftentimes do. We look at ourselves through the lens of our offense, through shame and through guilt, but, but God's grace and forgiveness is so much that he literally chooses no longer to remember those sins or to see us through those sins. And, and I don't know about y'all, but I got plenty of sins that I'm like, God, I, like, I, it, I don't know how to not see myself through that lens. Like, thank you for, for not treating me that way. Thank you for such an incredible forgiveness. And, and so that, that's, that's just, that's what I was thinking of when we were singing that song. Like, it's one of the ways that makes God unlike anyone else, unlike any, any other God is that through Jesus, he, he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. That has nothing to do with Mark chapter 6. I mean, it could. I'm sure we could weave it together. It's just what I was thinking of with that song, and so I, I wanted to share that. Uh, Mark chapter 6, though, um, is where we're going to be, verses 1 through, through 6. And, and in this, in Mark 6, we see just a stunning, like stunning juxtaposition of faith from chapters 5 to the beginning of, of chapter six. Have you ever had someone in your life, maybe it was you, um, and you're like, gosh, that's, that's me, um, but just someone in your life that leaves you absolutely stunned because the truth of what is right and what is best is right there in front of them, and yet they, they stubbornly and pridefully refuse to accept what is true and, and what is good. You know, maybe it's someone that's in a toxic relationship and you're like, I don't know how, like, how do you not see that this is terrible for you? And yet they're just so 
stubborn and, and, and stuck in, in what they see, that they, they refuse to leave that relationship. Um, maybe it's a substance abuse problem where, where they even know that they're killing themselves by, by this continual addiction to this substance, and yet they, they continue to go back to it. They, they wake up feeling like trash, and yet then again, they're, they're right back there, and you're like, what? And it's just stunning, right? Maybe it's a, a bad eating habit or just poor self-care, and you're like, the, the doctor has told you, right? Like, you're going to die young unless you change the way that you are living, and yet there's just this refusal to accept the truth that is right in front of them. You ever had a conversation with someone like that? Or been, been that person where you're like, I mean, you know, it's right there, and yet there's just this unwillingness to submit and let go? I do I don't know if there's anything as tragic as seeing someone throw their life away when the truth is just right there. Right? When, when it's clear as day, when it's presented to them, and yet there's just this stubborn, stunning pride and refusal to surrender and to submit to, to what is true. That's what happens here in Mark chapter 6 with the people in Nazareth. It's a, a stunning refusal to believe in Jesus and, and to have faith and to trust in Jesus, the Son of God. I believe that God is wanting to tell us today, to remind us that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the question that God has for us, whether you're a Christian or not, the question is the same, will you trust him? Will I actually trust what Jesus tells me as true and as good and as best, or will I stubbornly and pridefully continue to try to go my own way? Will you trust Jesus? Let's read Mark 6, 1 to 6 together. It says that he, Jesus, went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the, the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among villages, the other villages teaching. God, your word is true. Would you help us to see it and believe it? Would you speak to us today, Father, of anywhere in our minds and our hearts that is not believing you? And would you convict us to repent and to place our trust in you alone? In Jesus, we ask. Amen. 
So we just finished in Mark chapter 5, and if you're, you're just catching up, you're just getting started here in Mark 6, I encourage you to go back and read um, the end of Mark 4 and in chapter 5. It's, it's one of my favorite stretches of, of the Bible. And we just finished in Mark 5, where, where, where Mark has detailed back to back to back just demonstrations of the power and evidence of Jesus working in conjunction with the faith of people. We see the power of Jesus. And then it says that Jesus went from there and he goes to his hometown. And it's the second interaction of Jesus in his hometown of, of Nazareth. The first time Luke 4 records it, and, and Jesus came to Nazareth in Luke 4, and it says that he stood up in the synagogue to teach, and he pulled from the scroll of Isaiah, and he, he reads from Isaiah of the coming Messiah, the coming anointed one who would rescue and deliver all who would trust in the Messiah. In Isaiah, that, that's something that the people in Nazareth, they, they grew up hearing. I mean, they'd read from the scrolls of Isaiah. They knew of this coming Messiah and this coming anointed one. So it's not like Jesus was reading this new information to them. What was new was when Jesus closed the book of Isaiah and he said, hey, this coming Messiah, like the one that you're waiting for to rescue you, that's me. I, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God, the anointed one who has come to deliver you from your sins and restore you into a relationship with God. That's what Jesus tells his, his family and friends the first time he's there. And, and how do they respond to it? I think Luke 4, 28 through 30, we, we have um, on the screens. They responded to Jesus saying that he's the Messiah it says, when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Jesus is like, hey guys, I'm the Messiah. And they're like, throw him off the mountain. Like, just kill him. They, they, it was a, a stark and powerful rejection to Jesus claiming to be the truth. And somehow, I love how this, like verse 30, I'm like, Luke, like, could you give us some more detail here? But passing through their midst, he went away. Like there's a mob of people who are like, throw him off the mountain. And somehow Jesus just like walks through them. Like, I, I, I would love more detail to this. Anybody, like, how does that happen? Like, I don't know. I'm just curious. I don't know if anybody else gets curious by that. But but so Jesus' first encounter in Nazareth, in his hometown, when he stands up to preach, ends with his family and friends seeking to murder him. Literally to throw him off a mountain, off the cliff. And now we got Jesus coming back for round two. He's coming back to his hometown. And so I, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, I don't know how many near-death experiences you've been in, but if I'm around people who literally try to murder me and I manage to get away, I am probably not going back. Like, you know, like, hey guys, let's sit down. Where should we go next? Nazareth. That worked out really well for us the first time. Let's go back there, right? That's not typically how I'm gonna approach things. A anybody else? I'm getting like, like, I see some type of interaction. I feel like I'm the only one who's a jerk around here. Like, no, I'm not going back to you, sorry, right? But not Jesus, because Jesus is abundantly generous and gracious in his second chances, praise God, right? Is that he's willing to risk again 
so that people may hear and know that he is the truth. And so Jesus shows up. And, and at this point now, though, in between the first and second interaction, man, he's, he's preached sermons. He's performed many miracles, right? Like he's, he's given evidence and proof to the validity that he is the Messiah. His ministry has just been flowing with power, right? So he's going to show up this time, and everybody's going to be like, dude, Jesus, sorry, man, we missed it the first time, but gosh, hot dog, look at you. You're the Messiah, right? That, that's what, after seeing what's happened, I would expect. After seeing what, what just took place, and so it says in verse two, just like the last time, on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished. Right, they're, they're, they're just dumbfounded, but it's not one of those like, oh my gosh, like Jesus is incredible astonishments. It's one of those like, are you kidding me? He's saying this again? Astonishments. They're like, they're flabbergasted, they're disgustingly flabbergasted with what Jesus is saying. And we don't know what Jesus is saying exactly. It doesn't tell us, but I would venture to bet it has something to do with the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe, right? Repent and believe in the gospel. That's what he said in Mark chapter one. His purpose on earth was to tell people of the gospel, was to preach the good news that their sins could be forgiven by faith in him and they could be restored into a relationship with God. That was his purpose. And so I'm assuming he's saying something along the lines again of, hey, I am the anointed one who has come to forgive your sins. If you trust me and follow me, I will restore you into a relationship with God. I, that's my guess based on what he's told us in Mark 1, his purpose is to, to do. And it says they were astonished, that they were they scoffed at him. They, they took offense at what he was saying. Seriously, Jesus? Again, you're gonna come in here and say, you're the Messiah? We should, we should all trust you and submit our lives to you and follow you? Like, who do you think you are, Jesus? Are you kidding me? It didn't go well for you the first time, and here you are again saying the same thing thing. They had more evidence, more truth. It says that they, he had wisdom they couldn't account for. He was doing miracles that they didn't understand, and yet they denied him and rejected him for the second time as the truth. They refused to take him at his word, and denying him in their hearts, they became pridefully hardened and offended by what he had to say. The more they denied him, the more their hearts became hardened and offended by the words that he spoke. Why, why, why did they reject him? I mean, there's many reasons in the scripture that, that people reject Jesus. There's many reasons that we reject Jesus. Why did they reject him? Mark seems to suggest that they, they couldn't or, or really in their pride, they wouldn't get past the familiarity they had with the hometown boy that they've known since he was in diapers. Right, they're looking at him and they're like, isn't this the, isn't this the carpenter? Like, hey, hey, Jesse, didn't you hire him to work on your barn one time? You know, isn't this the, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Aren't those his sisters right here? Like, 
Like, hey, didn't you teach him in grade school how to count? Wasn't he even kind of slow in like learning his basic arithmetic? Right, like, they're looking at this man who for 30 years lived among them and never did a miracle, never, never even showed anything exceptional. Like, he was just kind of average. That's what Isaiah tells us. He, he was just average, and they're like, Jesus, bro, we remember you when you couldn't even walk. Like, we remember you when you were learning to, to add. We remember you when you were just running through the streets, like, being a nuisance. And now you want us to you want us to submit our lives to you? Like, you want us to surrender our lives to you as the Messiah? It's not that they didn't understand cognitively the words he was saying. It's that they refused to believe them as truth. Like, they understood what Jesus was saying. They, they understood the claims he was making. They just pridefully refused to submit their lives to the hometown boy that they've known their entire lives. They didn't see him as the son of God. They saw him as the son of Mary down the street. There's nothing incredible about this guy. And for him to claim to be the son of God and to tell us that we only have life by following him, it's ridiculous. And they scoffed at him and their hearts were hardened to what he had to tell them. They rejected him again. What, what about us? Why do we reject what Jesus tells us? Why do you sometimes read the words he says and, and reject them? I think familiarity has the same danger for us as it did for them. It was oftentimes the religious churchgoers in the scripture that just weren't that impressed with Jesus. I think it's oftentimes the religious churchgoers in our culture that have just not been so impressed with Jesus. We, we've heard the same verses our whole life. We've sang the same songs. We've, we've taken communion every Sunday, and it's just this rote, routine, Monday, ho-hum. We've lost our wonder and majesty with Jesus because he's just become too familiar. I think sometimes it's familiarity where someone is speaking truth to us, but because we're so familiar with that person, we, we don't hear it. Right? How many times has, has someone close to you, a spouse or a friend or a child or a parent, told you something, but because you're just so close to them and you know all their baggage as well, you refuse to hear the truth that they're speaking? Right? Like, Stephanie can tell me something that's true, and I'm like, woman, don't talk to me. I don't say things like that, right? That's just for, that's just for illustration, right? You know, but then Mike can sit down and tell me the same thing, and I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, like, come on, you know you're with me. We, we all do that. Familiarity can put up this obstacle where we just become so complacent and casual with it. We lose the wonder. We lose the truth. It shouldn't matter who is speaking truth to us. Truth is truth. Right? It's only pride and a hardened heart that causes me to reject the truth that someone else is speaking. So familiarity, I think, can be a huge danger to us hearing and seeing Jesus. I think another reason we reject the truth of Jesus is culture. We've let culture tell us what is true rather than Jesus tell us what is true. 
oh man, sexuality, it means something different today than it did back then, right? Surely it doesn't interpret the same. We're, we're supposed to take something written in a first century Jewish culture and, and that, that's, that's truth for us today in America? Come on, we're in 2021, let's be real. And culture starts to shape our truth and we reject the truth of, of Jesus. I think some of the times the reason we reject Jesus is pain. That, that's been a, it's been a truth for me. It's just, it's, the hurt has been so much or the hurt and the pain in the world, and you're like, this just can't be true. I've had, a, I've had a pain towards God. Ever since we said yes to planting a church, I feel like all hell has broke loose, and there's been a resentment in my heart towards God that I've had to work through. And it's this pain in my heart that's like, God, I don't know that I want to trust you to go. What if there's more pain? What if there's more hurt? And so sometimes the pain and the hurt causes us to reject the truth of God. Sometimes we're just afraid. God, if you tell me to go that way, I don't know how it's going to end. If you tell me to confess my sins, uh, this could go south real fast. I, I could lose my job here. If you tell me to move somewhere that's not safe and comfortable, what if, what if we're injured? What if we're harmed? And sometimes fear causes us to reject the truth that God gives us I think sometimes it's just human understanding it just does not make sense to us God I have worked the budget so many times and you want me to take of the little bit that I'm barely making and give to the church and to give to those in need God that math doesn't add up it doesn't make sense logically like I'm looking at the spreadsheet here it doesn't work and so there's this human understanding that it just doesn't make sense to us and so sometimes that's why we reject the truth that God tells us because we literally cannot wrap our minds around it and I, I think sometimes it's just control we don't want someone else telling us what to do or how to live we, we don't want someone else giving us instruction we're pretty self-sufficient and capable people here and we just don't want to submit we oftentimes we're not that different from the people in Nazareth Jesus comes on the scene he gives us his truth and for whatever reason we reject the truth of Jesus I don't want to hear this I don't want to listen to it and our hearts become hardened in pride and we take offense to the word that Jesus gives us. How, how does that play out for you? How do you find yourself hesitant to receive the truth of Jesus? So what's the big deal, though? What's the big deal if we reject the truth of Jesus? Here's what happens. When we reject Jesus, when we don't trust him and take him at his word, we remove ourselves from receiving the grace of God. When we don't trust Jesus and take him at his word, we put an obstacle, we put the obstacle in between us and God from receiving the grace that he has for us, the goodness that he has for us. 
Hebrews 11.6 says it is impossible. It is not possible. It is impossible to please God without faith. The only way we please God is by a life of faith, by trusting him and by surrendering to him. And so when we lack trust and faith in Jesus, we remove ourselves from the pleasure of God and from receiving the grace and the goodness that he has for us. Let's look at Mark 6, verse 5. It says, He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. I don't know about you, but when I read that, like it just jumps out to me when it says that there was something Jesus could not do. Right? Like I'm immediately going, he could, he could do no mighty work there. Yeah, that's what it says. Like, but this is, this is the son of God. This is God. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is too difficult for God. The God who spoke the whole world into existence. And yet now in Mark chapter six, verse five, it says he could do no mighty work there. And I'm like, time out, Mark. Let me just read backwards because it just said that he raised a girl from the dead. Like he, he overcame the, the greatest obstacle of death. He raised a girl from the dead. Before that, it said that there was a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years and she spent all of her money on doctors and no one could find a solution. And Jesus comes on the scene and heals her of this disease immediately. Just before that, there's a man possessed with demons that no one could control. And Jesus comes on the scene and casts out all the demons and makes this man well. And just before that, they're on a sea and there's a storm that is about to kill these sailors and Jesus stops the storm with his words and now he can do no mighty work what like did he did he run out of steam like did he use up all of his miracle working power up to Mark chapter 5 and now he's in chapter 6 and he's like I'm out like I burst out of the gate sprinting and I'm I'm on mile four of a marathon and I'm done like what happened here that Jesus could do no mighty work the problem is not with Jesus. The problem is with the lack of faith in the people. It's not that Jesus couldn't do the work. It's that their lack of faith removed them from the position of receiving his work and his grace. Because faith positions us to receive the grace of God. Faith positions us to receive the presence and the power of God that is already at work, but it's our partnership and faith that positions us to receive that goodness. Anybody ever watch the TV show Survivor? I, I need a show of hands. Like, raise it high. I just need to know who are my people. Okay, cool. Like, we're, we're th thank you. I just, we're, we're hooked. I applied to be on Survivor, and... <laughs> Why did we laugh? Like, I'm, I don't understand. I did. I applied. And then, and then, uh, and then COVID hit. That's probably why I didn't get a call back because of COVID. I mean, but um, like, just so y'all know, if I ever get accepted, I'm out for a month. Like, I'm, I'll see y'all afterwards, but I'm going on Survivor, right? And so, so Survivor is, is rough, man. They're dirty. They're filthy. Um, and, and they just use the natural elements of the ocean or rivers or whatever to, to bathe. And so, Go with me here. Let's imagine that we are in, on an island in the jungle playing Survivor, and we just finished a challenge, right? And we're all sandy and dirty. And for us, there's this like just beautiful waterfall that like cascades into a little pond, and that's, that's where everybody goes to rinse off. They just go and they like 
sand in the waterfall and just let it kind of wash all the dirt off. And so we go on a challenge and, and then everybody's going to the waterfall to get cleaned up. And then, and then you come back and you're still filthy. Like there's just dirt all over you. And everybody's like, dude, why didn't you clean off? In the, what, what's wrong with you? Like, why didn't you clean off? And you're like, oh, the waterfall didn't wash me off. And they look at you and you're like completely dry. And they're like, well, did you, did you get in? No. Well, the problem's not with the waterfall. The problem's with the fact that you didn't put yourself under the waterfall. The waterfall's just fine. The water's running. But you gotta position yourself under the waterfall to receive the grace of the water to wash you clean. And, and faith is that which positions us under which God is already doing. It's not that God lacks the power to do miracles and wonders. It's that we lack the faith to position ourselves to receive the grace that God already has. Trusting in God is how we receive his grace. I mean, think of that woman in, in, in Mark 5. She's bleeding for 12 years. No doctor can figure it out. And she thinks, I, I, I believe that Jesus can. It's her faith that Jesus can that then positions herself in this crowd where she reaches out and touches his robe and power goes out of him and heals her. And Jesus is like, who touched me? And the disciples are like, bro, everybody is touching you. Like we're in a mob of people. He's like, no, 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 this was a different touch. Like this was a touch of faith. This was a touch of someone who truly trusts me. Who was it? And the woman's like, it was me. And what does Jesus tell her? Daughter, your faith has made you well. I've, I've often wondered, what if she didn't trust him? What if she didn't reach out and touch his robe? Would she have been healed? I, I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think she would have. But it was her faith in Jesus, her trust in him that positioned her to receive the grace of his power and his miracles. Even more than a healing of a disease, think about salvation, right? Ephesians chapter two, it says that we are dead in our sins, in our trespasses. We are spiritually dead, but God is rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved through faith. By grace, by the free gift of God. The grace of God is that we sinned you and I walked away from God. You and I separated ourselves from God's presence. You and I chose to go our own way. We all have. At some point in our lives, we have all chosen really many times, hey God, you say this, I'm gonna do this. That's called sin. Hey God, you say to believe this, I'm gonna believe this. That's called sin. God, you say to trust me, but I'm gonna trust myself. That is sin, and it separates us from God. And that's why Paul says we are dead in our trespasses. We are spiritually dead from the source of life himself. But God is so rich in mercy and love that Jesus came to restore us into a relationship with God. Jesus did everything necessary for us. God expects us to have a perfect life. That's the expectation to be in communion with him. Complete perfection. 
Well, we've all failed that test. But Jesus didn't. He came and he lived the perfect life for us. Well, we still have a record of sin. Right? I'm guilty for my sin. Well, Jesus died on the cross to take my record of sin and to nail it on the cross with him. And in his resurrection, he offers us an exchange. He will forgive our sins and give us his righteousness so that we can be righteous with God. We can be restored into a relationship with him. That's the grace of God. God did all of that. What did we do? We sinned and walked away. And so Jesus comes and he stands in the middle. He does everything needed for us to be made righteous. And he says, will you trust me? Will you repent and believe? Will you stop trusting in your way and your thoughts? And will you trust me? And it's that trust in our heart. Faith is in our hearts. That trust and belief that then turns us and positions us to receive the grace of God. It's that faith in our heart that pleases God and restores us into a relationship with him. Do we trust him? Do we trust him? We have the reasons that we, we oftentimes reject him. What, what are the areas of faith that, that you're oftentimes lacking in? Is it salvation? Have you trusted Jesus to forgive your sins, to spiritually make you alive? That's not a work that we do. That's what Ephesians says, right? It's not a work that we do. Jesus did all the work. We just receive. We just believe that we're going to receive this gift. We trust him. And he gives us new life. Have you, have you trusted Jesus for new life? What about the faith to believe that his way is best? That, that following him in obedience, no matter what it may mean to us circumstantially, is ultimately best and good. Right? That, that, that it is best to love our neighbor, that it is best to love our enemies and to do good to those who persecute us. Even though it may not make sense to us, do we trust him that it is best? Do we trust him when he says to receive the forgiveness of others and to receive reconciliation with those who have harmed you? Do we trust him when he tells us to forgive those around us? How many times? 70 times seven, he tells Peter. 490 times in a day. His point, you continue to forgive those who are genuinely repentant. Do we trust him with that? Do we trust him with the lifestyle shaping that he tells us to live? Do we trust him of what he says is above reproach and holy? Do we trust him with our sexuality? Do we trust him with our finances? Do we trust him with our provision so that we're not gonna actually worry? So that when Jesus says, hey, do not worry, we actually trust him with everything and we don't worry. Do, do we trust, do we have faith in those ways? Do we trust him with healing? That he's able today to physically heal I believe that there are miracles waiting to be unleashed for us to trust God and to receive his grace. I believe there are relationships that God wants to restore 
if we will trust him in how to walk with one another. I believe there are gifts that God wants to give us if we will trust him and take that step of faith into the unknown. I believe there's so much that God desires to give us, but so often we are like the people of Nazareth and we reject the truth of Jesus and we just don't trust him. I think the question God has for us is, will you trust me? We know that we can because Jesus has already proven his faithfulness. He's already come and given us what we need. He's already risen from the dead. If Jesus is still dead, I'm not trusting him. Thanks, but no thanks. But, but Jesus isn't dead. And because Jesus is alive and because 500 people saw him and because he ascended into heaven, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna put my eggs in that basket. Are we trusting him? It doesn't mean that we control God by our faith, right? Just because I trust him doesn't mean I'm going to get the outcome I desire, I want. It just means that I'm positioning myself to receive his good grace, whatever that means. That, that, that's big. We don't control or manipulate God. We don't say, hey, God, here's my faith. Do what I want. We say, God, here's my faith, and I trust that whatever you give me is good and best. But it's only in faith we receive his good gifts. Do we trust him? Do we really trust him? I think how this ends is one of the saddest verses. Verse six, he marveled because of their unbelief. Man, what would it be like for Jesus to marvel at us? There's this and there's also this centurion that came and asked for a miracle and, and said, Jesus, you don't, you don't need to come you, you can do it from here. And Jesus it says that he marveled at the faith of the centurion. You got, get Jesus marveling at the faith of someone and you got Jesus marveling because of their unbelief. Because they're so hardened in their pride and in their hearts. It reminds me of Romans 1, 24, where it says, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. God's not going to control or force us to faith. And the more that we deny him and the more that we reject his truth and the more that we choose unbelief, we are hardening our hearts towards God and we are progressively pushing him further and further and further and further away. It's not that God can't do amazing things. It's that our faith removes us from the position of receiving what he's already doing. Yeah. I think Mark is very intentional in how he arranged this. You've got Mark 5, and you've got people who have faith in Jesus, who trust him, and they see amazing things done, and they receive the grace of God. And then you've got Mark 6, a stunning juxtaposition of faith, of people who refuse to believe him, and their hearts are hardened and they pushed Jesus away. And it says that he went among the villages teaching. He went 
to other villages who would receive him. It's not because Jesus didn't want to be there. He willingly came. It's that they refused to receive him. Where, where are you? Mark 5 or Mark 6? Do, do you really trust him? Do you really believe him? Our lives will demonstrate that faith. A life of obedience will demonstrate true faith. Because we're trusting that what he says is good, that it's best, that he, he is for us. Or do we have our reasons why we reject his word? And those reasons are causing us to, un to not believe and to lack that faith. I believe that, that God gives us a very clear depiction of the two options. One receives the grace of God. The other pushes it away. You know, faith is tough. Faith is hard. I can't tell you the number of times I said, God, I just want to walk by sight. I'm tired of, of not knowing what the next step looks like. But I read a book over the sabbatical. Um, Jenny Allen wrote, it's called Get Out of Your Head. And, and she says that the change that, that moves us forward in faith is the realization that we have a choice. In that moment where, where we read the truth of God, we have a choice in that moment. Will I take him at his word or will I not? W will I in faith do what he says no matter what or will I not? We have a choice between Mark 5 and Mark 6. And the grace of God is slow to anger and patient and merciful and I'm sure you're like me where I have many times lacked faith and chosen to walk in what makes sense to me and God graciously receives me and gives me forgiveness when I confess and repent and so today in this moment right here and right now we're all here we're all listening and the message from God is you have a choice will you trust him do you trust him? God is with you. God is for you. And God is good. And he is actively working good for you right now. Will you trust him and receive that good gift? Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.